All right, let's turn in our Bibles to Romans chapter 9, 10, and 11. Wonderful, wonderful chapters. And uh, we will do our best to get through most of it. And, but before we, we start from Romans 9, I want you to turn to Romans 10. Romans 10, chapter, chapter 10, verse 13. And I want you to say this verse with me. I want you to say this verse with me because I'm discovering that if we say things out loud, it's like, I don't know, it's just another, I mean, we hear ourselves and it's just like double, you know, our mind is working and then we hear our voice. And so there's something about reading it out loud. So Romans chapter 10, verse 13, here we go. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. All right. Now, is there a word in there that you can't miss as all inclusive? Everyone. That's right. All right. One more time. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. All right. Now, whenever you see the words, I am. Or when you see the words, I will, what does that do for you? When you hear the Lord God Almighty say to you, I will, doesn't that, doesn't that pretty much settle you? When you, you don't have to second guess, you don't have to even think about doubting. I mean, you know, it says everyone who calls on the name of the Lord, which means what? Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord. What are you, when you call on the name of the Lord, what are you saying to him? What do you say? When you call on the name of the Lord, what is he expecting? Everyone, call on the name of the Lord. You will be saved if you call on the name of the Lord and say what? I am a sinner. Yeah, I am a sinner. And I need a that's right. I mean, that's calling, that's seeing yourself the way you really are. And that is, well, that is then admitting that you need a Savior. And that means then that you take that walk, I always say that, you have to humbly take that walk to the place where then he is ready to receive you and to then cover you with the blood of the lamb, the delivering, the deliverance. And we'll get into that when we talk about Pharaoh tonight, is that, that he had one and only one way that we could be delivered, and that was through the blood of his son. And so um, that is when, that's what that verse means, as simple as that verse is. Yet it is very much the answer. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord, who comes to a Savior and says, I know I need you, you will be saved. And that's what he's saying. I promise you, you will be saved. So let's keep that in mind as we now start from Romans 9. I speak the truth. I speak the truth in Christ. I am not lying my conscience confirms it in the Holy Spirit. I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart, for I could wish 
that I myself were cursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my brothers, those of my own race, the people of Israel. Oh, man, that is something. What is he saying? He's saying, you know, I'm a Jew and I love the Jewish people. When we studied Acts, do you remember that when Paul went on his journeys, his three missionary journeys, and whether he was with Barnabas or Silas or Luke or, you know, um, it, where would he go first? Where, do you remember where he would go first? To the synagogue. He would always go to the synagogue, even though he was the apostle to the Gentiles. And he's very, he's very um, explicit and he expresses himself well, saying, because they did not receive, the Lord said, I will use you to bring this message to the Gentiles. And yet he would still, he, you can tell, you can tell that he is really, he, he is just so wanting his people, his race. He is a Jew, he loves being a Jew, and he loves the Jewish people. And he wants them to have what he's got. He wants them to know what he knows. And, and so, um, look what he said. What, what, what is he willing to do? I'm willing to be cursed. I'm willing to give my life if that would mean that the people would be saved, that they would hear this message. Huh, who does that sound like? Huh, I mean, who was willing to give his life so that we could all know? I looked at that and I read that and I thought, that's what happens. The closer you get to him, you start acting like him. You start realizing that you can say things like that. Because did you ever, did you read that and think, oh yeah, right, Paul, right. I mean, that sounds so good. Because you know you can't, so, but sure, some, did any of you think that? Any of you think that sarcastically that he really didn't mean it? Not once, I know it. I mean, I even hesitated to even bring it up, but I just thought, you know what, I'm going to, because I think by this time, we just love Paul so, and we trust him so. We know that he is, he's been there. He understands and has experienced Christ in such a real way, and he's just pouring out his heart in these letters. And so never once did you second guess that he was just being sarcastic and just using fancy words to make it sound good. I believe him because he is getting to be more and more like Christ all the time. That's what happens. The more that the, more that the old nature is gone and the new nature takes over, because remember what we saw in Romans 8, what is God's goal for us? Turn us into the likeness of his son. He wants us looking like Jesus and acting like him. So Paul's proof that is possible. And he's saying, oh, I, well, I, could, I would give my life so that they would know and that they would believe. And then he says, for I, um, he says, for, for I could wish that I myself were cursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my brothers, those of my own race, the people of Israel. Theirs is the adoption as sons. Theirs the divine glory, the covenants, the receiving of the law, the temple worship, and the promises. Theirs are the patriarchs, and from them is traced the human ancestry of Christ, who is God over all, forever praised, amen. He's saying, you know, I can't understand 
why they don't want to believe. Now, I'm sure he looks back and says, I can't understand how I didn't believe. I mean, there was a time when I thought this was a bunch of nonsense. And I, I was zealous, remember, zealous without knowledge. But he says, you know what, I, because Jesus got a hold of me and grabbed me and put me right to the ground and made me think for three days without being able to see a thing, I came to realize. But he said, when you think about the Jewish nation, the Jewish nation, they, they, I mean, look at all what he said. They've been given the divine glory. They've been adopted as sons. They, they've been given the covenants, the law, the temple worship, the promises, the patriarchs. I mean, their ancestry, Jesus came from there. What is their problem? It is not as though God's word had failed for not all of us who are descended from Israel are Israel. Nor because they are his descendants are they all Abraham's children. On the contrary, it is through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. Paul understood that Abraham had other sons. Now, I don't know if you knew this, but I mean, we know about Ishmael, right? When Abraham and Sarah jumped the gun. And then Isaac was the one promised. He was the one that that the line would follow. But just on an interesting note, if you read Genesis 25, Abraham, after Sarah died, um, Abraham married again, and he had more sons at 100 years old. Can you beat it? <laughs> so I, I had one girl that just wouldn't believe it. So I, I, I looked up the reference, so you can check me out. It's Genesis 25. Abraham had more sons. What a character. But, but, it, but the point is, is that Isaac was the one that the Holy Spirit uh, worked, and he was the promised son. So this is what he says here. It is through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. In other words, it is not the natural children who are God's children, but it is the children of the promise. So even though Abraham had other sons, Ishmael and the other names in Genesis 25, they were the natural sons of Abraham. However, Isaac was the promised one. And that's who, but it is the children of the promise who are regarded as Abraham's offspring. For this is how the promise was stated at the point in time, I will return and Sarah will have a son. Not only that, but Rebekah's children had one and the same father, our father Isaac. So here we have Isaac, and now he and Rebekah have twins, Jacob and Esau. So you got the same mother and the same father. And yet, look at this, yet before the twins were born or had done anything bad or good in order that God's purpose and election might stand, oh, right away, did you panic? Oh, here we go. You know, that is, that is a word that is very divisive, has even, I think, even, uh, you know, divided denominations and all this kind of thing. But I don't think it has to. I think when you take it as a whole and you 
look at God as who he is, I think it, it will become very clear. And there is no way that I am ever going to believe that God, because I want you to turn now to the end of our lesson tonight, the end of Romans 11. I want you to see in Romans 11, verse 32, for God has bound all men over to disobedience so that he may have mercy on them all. I want you to keep that in mind. I want you to see all these absolute words. You'll see everyone. You will see anyone. You will see all. And so keep that in mind, too, along with everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Now, remember, we try to figure out some of these words, and we try to put our own definition on them. And if you would ever just take Romans 9, 10, and 11 and not study Romans 1 to 8, if you don't study other portions of Scripture, you are going to be confused and you are going to think that, that the Lord just kind of picks and chooses. You're going to see as we go into more Romans that, that Paul himself says God does not pick favorites. I think when sin came into the world, sin changed everything, and it touched them at the time, and it touched every one of us since. And so I think we all have come to the realization that we are all sinners. I don't think that none of us would have any problem with that one. So what we have to kind of get a grip of, uh, okay, then who did he save? We're going we're gonna to get to it because it says here, yet before the twins were born, whether they did anything good or bad in order that God's purpose in the lecture might stand, not by works, but by him who calls, she was told, the older will serve the younger, just as it is written from Balakai 1, just as it is written in Malachi, Jacob I loved, but Esau I hated. <laughs> now, there again, if you take that, and that's a big word, Esau I hated, Jacob I loved. I went back to the verse in John, where Jesus said, in fact, it's John 15, 16, Jesus said this, you didn't choose me, I chose you. He came right out and said it, you didn't choose me. Now, why didn't we choose him? Why didn't we choose him? Because we are what, again? We're sinners, and we're so caught up with, what's that four-letter word? Self. Self. And it, Every one of us on our own, we would not choose him because self just reigns. And when we don't have a choice, we were just plain sinners. Not sinners saved by grace yet. No, we're just plain sinners. And what happens to sinners? What did Genesis 3 say? The consequence of sin is what? Death. You better believe it. And what did we all deserve? Because we knew, I mean, this tree or that tree, I mean, what were the requirements? And they blew it. What should all of us have? Eternal death. That's what we deserve. 
And so that's where that verse in John 15, Jesus said, none of you would have chosen me. You are all sinners, lost. You don't even, you don't even realize that while you were sinners, that's when I chose to die. And that's, I chose you. I chose you. In fact, you didn't choose me, so what did Jesus say I did? I came after you. I just think that is so beautiful, that verse. You did not choose me. I chose you. I gave you an answer. I gave you hope. I gave you a remedy. I gave you salvation. I laid it all out there. Jesus was willing, did it all, paid it all. Now, what else? Okay, and before I go further, okay, what else do you know? For God so loved this world that he gave his only son. That what? Whosoever will believe that gospel story and make theirs, they will not perish. That's what it says. But have everlasting life. Not everlasting death, but have everlasting life. That's the remedy. He did his part. Now what is he expecting from us? To do our part. To do, and what is our part? To receive him. To believe. To believe that even while we were sinners, that's that song, only believe all things are possible. Yeah, you know what's impossible? Taking people like us and what we deserved and give us and give us some life and worth and purpose in and of ourselves, that is never going to happen. We are lost. That's part of the tulip <laughs> that I really like is the total depravity, man. I know that. So did Paul. What a wretched man I am. Left to myself, man, I don't do what I should do. And what I, what I should do, I don't do. Who can rescue me from this mess? Thanks be to God, there's the Lord Jesus. So Paul makes sure that we always know from what, what we came from. But then he'd say, okay, Jacob I loved, Esau I hated. Okay, I'm going to take you back to see how all these scriptures work together. What do you know about the Psalm 139? When David wrote this psalm, he said, before you were even in my mother's womb, I knew you. So in his omniscience, in his all-powerful mind, knowing everything, do you think that he could possibly know how our heart is going to choose whether we're going to say yes to that gospel message or no? Do you think he could possibly know before we are even? Yeah. So if you look at, you look at these twins and you just say, you know what? He knew those two. 
And he knew that, oh man, Jacob still was going to be a pill. He was going to be, he, he was far, going to be far from perfect. And he was definitely going to need to be worked on. And he definitely was going to have to wrestle. However, God could see Jacob's heart and it was pliable. It was workable. He knew that he could, he could work with this. But there was something about Esau. He knew because he could be foreknew. He, he knew. He knew that Esau was going to say, I'm not buying that. It's kind of like a, that one time when I was singing and I heard the minister say, you know, I just don't know why the Lord saved me and not my brother. Oh, I had all I could do to run up on that stage because I'm just thinking to myself. Because you said yes and your brother said no. That's how simple it is. He heard the same story from the, his, the mom and dad the same way, same way as Isaac and Rebecca told the boys the same story. And you have a choice, okay? We're all bound over to disobedience, but guess what? We all then decide, are we going to take the remedy? Are we going to take what he gave to us? What are we going to say to that? Are we going to say yes or are we going to say no? I believe that that verse in Romans 11 says that the Lord puts us all at the, at the, you talk about the level is the same at Calvary. I think he takes every one of us and he puts us all, or he bounds us over to disobedience and plunks us right at Calvary and said, okay, now what are you going to do with this? Up to you. And then I love the part where I just really feel that those of us who say yes and say yes, I know I'm a sinner, I need a Savior. That's when he says, hey, I have every right to show mercy. I have every right to show compassion and I have every right to not show mercy, and I have every right to harden a heart. If I don't see a yes response, I can do what I want. But if I hear a yes response, everyone who calls on my name, I will save them. But because of his mind, I think with Esau, I think with Pharaoh, I think with many of the pagans in the Old Testament, I think with Judas Iscariot. Would God ever create for evil? Come on. You know the character of God. Would he create for evil? No. I had a lady this week say to me, why in the world did he? Because see, Proverbs is really getting to her. Love it. It's getting to her. She says, man, I am pathetic. I said, you are. And I am. And this is what he wants us to see. What a hopeless mess we are without a Savior and without listening to the guidance and the instruction of, of godly wisdom. She says, why in the world? And I wrote it down because I couldn't believe her question. I wrote it down. Why did God let sin come into the world anyway? That's what she asked. I looked at her and said, he didn't. You did. 
Don't you think God gets blamed for things when it's our stinking fault? Why did God let sin come into the world? He didn't. He gave us a choice. This tree or this tree. And I think the same thing is happening today. That he gets the blame for some of the consequences we're suffering because of our disobedience. Because how clear in the Proverbs is he saying, um, be sure of this. Be sure of this. Um, right, wrong will be righted. Be sure of this. Sin will be dealt with. Be sure of this. Wicked will be punished. Remember how many times Solomon has just put that in there every now and then to make sure we know. But I think he looks at some of these. You know, he looked at Esau's heart and he just wasn't going to say yes. He was going to stay stubborn. He was going to say, nope, I'm going to solve this. I'm going to stay independent of this. I can handle life on my own. I think Judas is scary. I mean, here, look how many chances. Come on. Look how many chances Judas is scary. Walking with Jesus for three years, seeing the same miracles as all the other 11, hearing the same sermons that Jesus preached, same as the other 11. God knew. God knew that Judas was not going to cooperate. And so I believe that the Lord says to someone like Esau, someone like Judas Iscariot, someone like some of these these enemies in the Old Testament and even Pharaoh himself, okay, then I'm going to use you to accomplish my will. And because he's sovereign and he can do what he wants when he wants and how he wants, I think we just got to let it there. But don't blame God. They chose it. And so then he says, okay, then I'll use you to accomplish my way for those who do want to hear. What then shall we say? Is God unjust? Not at all. For he says to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. You know, the Lord's going to see to it. Remember when the disciples were so upset in John 14 about Jesus um, leaving? He was going to be leaving, and, and uh, they were so concerned. What, how are we going to do it without you? And he said, oh, I'm not leaving you comfortless. In John 14 and 15, you talked about, I'm going to give you the Holy Spirit that will then be able to be with every one of you because I, in, my, in this human form, I can't be with you, Peter, when you go this way. I can't be with you, John, when you go this way. But my spirit, I, can, I, can leave, I will leave my spirit so that no matter what direction you, Levin, and then Matthias, will go, First to Jerusalem, then to Samaria, and then to the uttermost parts of the earth. I, I know you can't do it without me. That's why he said in Acts chapter 1 to those, to those disciples, to those about 120, he said, you go to that room and you stay there because I don't want you making a move till the Spirit comes. There was a little lapse in time before Jesus ascended and when the Holy Spirit came. And so he said, I want you to go and stay in that room. He, does not, he knows we cannot be left on our own. 
The Holy Spirit is such a a great necessity because the Holy Spirit, I kind of, for me to understand this, I kind of put it like this. Remember where it says God will pour out his spirit. What is the number one job of the Holy Spirit? What is the number, what do you think the number one job of the Holy Spirit is? When he's poured out on all mankind, He's, yeah, I, I kind of like to say that he sits and perches himself on our shoulder. And what is he whispering in our ear? Because we wouldn't choose the Lord on our own. So we've been given his Holy Spirit to whisper in our ear, you need a savior. You're a pathetic sinner. And the Holy Spirit whispers in their ears through what? Oh, through maybe a Bible study, maybe through when you're reading God's word, maybe somebody just really directed and told you. Maybe it was when you were young and you had flannel graph stories. Somewhere along the line, you heard the gospel message. That was the Holy Spirit whispering in your ears saying to you, you need a Savior. And you can respond yes or no. And when you respond yes, this is what happens. Not only do you humbly walk to the cross and you accept his love and mercy and grace and you're, and you're covered with his blood, you're given that gift of the Holy Spirit. Now, instead of perched on your shoulder, he now dwells in you. And he will go everywhere with you. So the number one job of the Holy Spirit is to direct people to Jesus and give them the choice. The number two job of the Holy Spirit then, as he now lives inside of you and me, is to keep us growing and learning and listening and obeying and guiding and showing us the way to go and how to live. Now, when he says, I will have mercy and compassion on who I want. He's not saying, I'm picking and choosing. No, he's saying, whoever says yes, I can't wait to show my mercy and my grace and my, my unconditional love and the love that once they know and experience it, I will, they will never be separated from that love again. But to blame God saying, well, you know, my brother must have not been, the, been chosen. No, your brother just didn't say yes because he was standing there with mercy, the same mercy and compassion. It's kind of like the same kind of thing is when does God change his mind? You know, that's a big issue. I don't think it's that big an issue. You bet he changes his mind. You know when he changes his mind? You're going to hell unless you come to know the Savior. Then he'll change his mind and take you back. Does he change his mind? Yeah, he's got rules. And if you don't follow him, this is what's going to happen. But if you follow him, yeah, he'll change his mind. And But you know what? He's got a standard. He's got a line that he has. And he says, if you don't follow it, yeah, this is what's going to happen. But will he change his mind? Yeah, he'll change his mind when we say yes. And then we don't get what we deserve. It's called grace. It's called mercy. Is this, is this me? Am I explaining it right? Is this coming clear? Do you understand what I'm trying to say? Now, I know I'm not trying to change some of you Christian reformers. 
I mean, I'm not trying to, you know, but I'm just, like I prayed, you know, can we just open up our hearts and let the Holy Spirit take all of Scripture and take the character of God and say, do you really think that he would pick and choose? No, don't blame him for that. He made it available for everyone, anyone, all. But he says, the choice is yours. I, I'm bounding you all over. You're all sinners. That's what sin did. It affected everybody. So I'll, I'll put you all at Calvary, and I'll give you the gospel message. I'll give you a Savior, and you decide what you want to do with it. And for those who say, yes, I will show my mercy and compassion, just like I promised, and I have a right to do that because I decided I wanted to buy, buy you back if you were willing to come to me and believe that I could save even someone like you. That's the most impossible thing there is, is to save a sinner, except if we believe he can save sinners. None of us can save ourselves. No one can save anybody, but we can, but we can go to the one who can believe in the one that can. It does not, therefore, depend on man's desire or effort, but on God's mercy. For the scripture says to Pharaoh, I raised you up for this very purpose, that I might display my power in you and that my name might be proclaimed in all the earth. Therefore, God has mercy on whom he wants to have mercy, and he hardens whom he wants to harden. Yeah, I can look at that, and if I just take that out of context, it looks like he said, boy, I think I'll create Pharaoh so that he can be an evil person and... and uh, take my people for 400 years and make them be slaves. No, he just knew Pharaoh before Pharaoh was even born, that this was the way Pharaoh was. You think about, you think about the chances Pharaoh had. What do you think God, something like with Judas Iscariot and with Pharaoh, with anybody, it is not his will that any perish. Now, what, in, in fact, Romans 1 said, remember when Paul said there's, there's, there's no man that's going to stand before the Lord and say, Paul, I've got about 10 excuses. What does Paul say? No, no, there's no excuse. Because all they have to, have to do is look around and see creation. And they've been created with a conscience and no, Paul says, I'm not buying that. No, they have chances during, during these plagues. What would you think God's ultimate will for Pharaoh would have been? For Pharaoh to take a look at these, these plagues. and to, It's kind of like in Revelation 16:11. I mean, it's just amazing to me how the Lord used the, the seals and the trumpets to... In the, in the tribulation to wake up these people while there's still a chance. And instead, what do they do? They curse them, shake their fist at them, and they'd rather die than, than admit who he is. See, this is, this is who God is saying, you know what? I don't have to put up with that. I love them unconditionally. I made a way for them. I'm trying to get their attention. I'm trying to do whatever it takes for them to get a wake-up call. And instead, they shake their fist at me and blame me, curse my name. You know what? That's it. 
and have a right to heart and whose heart I want. And you know what? We have nothing to say about that because he's God and we're not. He's sovereign. But you think during these, during these plagues and Moses and, and all of what's transpired as he's watching all of this, what do you think God's ultimate purpose for Pharaoh would be? To believe, to, take a, to say to Moses, hey, you've got something here. Would you please tell me about this God? And for him to respond But God knew that Pharaoh was not going to. And so then I went back to the story. And I went back to those 10 plagues. And it was quite amazing to me that um, the plague of the blood, he hardened his heart. Frogs, Pharaoh hardened his heart. Gnats, he hardened his heart. Flies, he hardened his heart. Livestock, he hardened his heart. So it was his own, nope, he hardened his heart. said, nope, they're not going. When boils came, when boils came, it said the Lord hardened his heart. When hail came, he hardened his heart. When locusts came, the Lord hardened his heart. And when darkness came, the Lord hardened his heart. Now, when you look at that, and I know when I looked at that, I thought, why in the world? Would the Lord harden Pharaoh's heart when the whole idea was for Pharaoh to let the people go? Now, I understand when he hardened his own heart, but when it said the Lord hardened his heart. And then I started to think of the whole purpose is what? The deliverance of Israel. What is, what is our purpose? To be delivered from eternal death. For the Israelites, they, it was the death of the firstborn, but the angel of death would pass over if they put a blood sacrifice, if they put the blood over the doorpost. We all know the story. It was the blood sacrifice. No, it doesn't say, but I was thinking to myself, I think when, when boils, think about boils. I think it was those boils. I think, I think when it was something so hard like boils, I think Pharaoh started, I think he was starting to think, you know what, I'm going to let him go. And the Lord hardened his heart. Why? Because are people delivered by boils? No. I think, I think Pharaoh was getting close to saying, you get out of here. And the Lord, no, 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 they're not. My people are never going to be delivered by anything but the blood. I think the same thing with the locusts and the darkness. I think, I think it was weighing on Pharaoh, and I think he was softening. And I think the Lord said, I'm hardening his heart. Because there again, not, we're not going to be delivered with locusts. We're not going to be delivered with darkness. They had to get to the 10th plague because that's the only way. See, the whole Old Testament story is about the blood. And so the little lamb, the Passover, that, that is all symbolic for the blood of Christ. That's why Christ fulfilled all of that because all the Old Testament was all symbolic to get us to the point that the Savior was coming, and he did. 
a blood sacrifice. But all during this time, you think, oh, Pharaoh could have responded. Verse 19, one of you will say to me, then why does God still blame us for who resists his will? But, you, but who are you, old man, to talk back to God? Shall what is formed say to him who formed it? Why did you make me like this? Does not the potter have the right to make out of the same lump of clay some pottery for noble purposes and some for common use? Yeah, God can do with us what he wants. We're all unique. We're all on, under the potter's hand. He's all created as different, except to go back to that last verse in, in Romans 11 where it says he bound us all over. So I don't care if you're Jew, Gentile, if you're high society or low society, if you're old or young, if you're black or white, I don't, I don't care. I think what he's saying is you're all bound. You're all sinners. What if God, choosing to show his wrath and make his power known, bore with great patience the objects of his wrath, prepared for destruction? What if he did this to make the riches of his glory known to the objects of his mercy, whom he prepared in advance for glory? Even us, whom he also called, not only from the Jews, but also from the Gentiles. And he says in Hosea, I will call them my people who are not my people, and I will call her my, my loved one who is not my loved one. Now, you know, that's the Gentiles. It will happen that in the very place where it was said to them, you are not my people, they will be called sons of the living God. Okay, now Isaiah, so Hosea was the prophet that kind of, you know, he, he used the prophecy to say, hey, wake up, Israelites. Because this is serious. If you don't take this serious... And I couldn't help but think that, you know, God, he showed that because right after Solomon's reign, that nation of Israel, I mean, it was like civil war. I mean, they were just so out of sync with God that the nation of Israel split. The majority of them went called the kingdom of Israel. It was the majority. It was the, it was the majority of the tribes of Jacob. And then there was a little part, only Judah and Benjamin. This was the kingdom of Judah, just a little territory. And the kingdom of Israel, as big and as powerful as they were, they didn't have one good king that led them in the right direction. And this is where God said, you know what? <laughs> I warned you, I showed you, and you know what? Now I've had it. And so kingdom of Israel, you're going down. And here comes the pagans, the evil nation of Assyria. And you know what? Not one of them came back. But you're going to, I'm sure you read it. God's always had a people. He's always had a remnant because he had a plan. He had a promise. And what did he promise? that someday there would be a Savior. So the kingdom of Judah, just this little area, this kingdom, they had a couple good kings, not, not much better, but eventually, you know what? They didn't believe either. And so God said, I'm sending you to captivity also, but to you, I'm going to, I'm going to send you, it's like a 70-year timeout because I'm, not, I'm going to, this is my purpose, that you will come to your senses that during this 70 years, 
where we read the stories about Daniel and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He always had a people. When you read this story, this was during the 70-year trip, the 70-year of um, a prison, really, for the Israelites. But he always had a strong remnant. So after 70 years, he said to those people, I'm calling you back to Jerusalem. And not many. See, Esther, Mordecai, none of them. You know what? They got so used to Babylon, and they loved all the, the they just loved the, the riches of, of Babylon. They got used to that kind of style of living, and, and they didn't come back. They didn't follow Ezra and Nehemiah back. They thought, why should we go back to that broken, you know, I mean, it's just hard work. Got to rebuild the city and the wall. Why would we want to do that? Well, those who were listening, those who believed the remnant, those who were part, because they chose to say, nope. It's kind of like with Abraham, remember? Against all hope, in hope, they believed the promise. They believed that God always had a people, God had a plan, he was going to bring a savior. So they went back, not that many, but they went back and rebuilt Jerusalem. But it's just proof that the Lord says, you know what? I mean it. And this is serious. You're going to have a choice. You're all disobedient. You're all the same. And you have a choice to make. Isaiah cries out concerning Israel. Though the number of the Israelites be like the sand of the sea, only the remnant will be saved. For the Lord will carry out his sentence on earth with speed and finality. Again, don't blame God. All of those people could have been the remnant. They could all come back. That nation didn't even have to split. It's just as Isaiah said previously, unless the Lord Almighty has left his descendants, we would have become like Sodom and we would have been like Gomorrah. What then shall we say that Gentiles who did not pursue righteousness have obtained it, a righteousness that is by faith, but Israel who pursued a law of righteousness has not attained it. Why not? Because they pursued it not by faith, but as if it were by works. They stumbled over the stumbling stone. And boy, does Paul write this talking from experience. See, I lay inside a stone that causes men to stumble. Someone asked me Thursday, who's the stumbling block? What's the stumbling block? It's Jesus. Paul is saying, you can be so religious and you can stumble right over the main thing. You can, you can be so good at church attendance and all that kind of thing. You can serve on all these committees and, oh, man, you just, everybody thinks, oh, what a religious person. And Paul goes on as he enters the second, or chapter 10. Brothers, my heart's desire and prayer to God for the Israelites is that they be saved, for I can testify about them that they are zealous for God, but their zeal is not based on knowledge. I got to tell you, I jumped right on my seat on this one. Because I want you to take the time to go back to Proverbs. We just did it last week. You talk about how perfect that these two are going together. Turn back to Proverbs 19. Proverbs 19, verse 2. Keep your finger in Romans 10, verse 2. But I want you to see Proverbs 19, verse 2. It is not good to have zeal without knowledge. 
That's a proverb. That's what Solomon said. Such good instruction. It is so good to have zeal. It is not good to have zeal without knowledge. You can be so religious, but if you don't have a personal relationship with your Savior. Now, look at back in Romans chapter 10. For I can testify about them that they are zealous for God, but their zeal is not based on knowledge. Woohoo! Paul is saying, you know what? They were a religious man. They 600, 700 laws. They tried so hard thinking if I just was such a good person trying, even though it was impossible. But they thought they're good works. And there Jesus was standing there right in front of them. But they would not believe. They would not listen. They did not know the righteousness that comes from God and sought to establish their own. They did not submit to God's righteousness. Now they plugged their ears. And they're still plugging the ears today. And so are a lot of religious people sitting in churches today. Christ is the end of the law so that there may be righteousness for... Oh, where's that word again? Everyone, okay. I'm telling you, start underlining these. Start starring these because I want to make sure you see that this is available, Jew, Gentile, whatever, that they may be righteousness, that there may be righteousness for everyone who believes. Moses describes in this way the righteousness that is by the law. The man who does these things will live by them, but the righteousness that is by faith says, do not say in your heart who will ascend into heaven or who will descend into the deep, but what does it say? The word is near you. The word is near you. How near is the word to you right now? <laughs> I'm looking at all of you, and I love what I see. And I love it when I say, open your Bibles. And I see every one of you open your Bibles. And that's how, the because I heard that there's 60-some percent of, of people in the United States have a Bible in their home. But only 20-some percent open it up. And I'm thinking to myself, this cover does not do it. The words inside the cover. So to me, I'm not the smartest or sharpest tack in the box, but something tells me that if I want words, I got to open this book. The word is near you. It is right there, ready for you to hear it. And hear the truth of the gospel, to hear the instruction of Proverbs of how he wants you to live. It's right there. The word is near you. It is in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith we are proclaiming, that if you confess with your mouth Jesus as Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Saying the word is near you. Is your Bible open? Are you listening to the truth of the words? Are you going to a church that opens the Bible and preaches the, the, this gospel words? Because when you respond and you say, Jesus is Lord, he's my Lord, I believe in my heart, I'm confessing with my mouth. What does Paul say? If that happens to you, if you confess with your mouth and you believe in your heart that Jesus is Lord, you will. 
be saved. There it is. You will. There's no question. There's no doubt. But look what you have to do. See? You're standing there absolutely a sinner with no hope for yourself. But he says, I will have mercy and grace and compassion on you if you just confess that that's the truth and that you have a remedy and that remedy's name is Jesus. As the scripture says, oh man, I hope you understand. There's a little, what's the, as the scripture says, what's the next word? Everyone. Everyone, anyone. Anyone who trusts in him will never be put to shame for there is no difference between Jew and Gentile. I went to Galatians. I went to Galatians because I, I knew that there was a verse in there. Not only just Jew and Gentile, male or female. I mean, old or young. I mean, it just covers. It does not matter because we are all the same. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then can they call on the one they have not believed? Now, 14 and 15, these two verses are for you and I, the believer. And this is what our job is. Because, look, now, how then can they call on the one that they have not believed in? And how can they believe in the one of whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? And maybe right away that, that word scares you because you think right away this is probably supposed to be for those that went to four years of college, three years of seminary, and, I mean, they got that certificate, and they have to preach. Yep, they have to preach it. I'm telling you, you can change that word. You can put share. You can put live out. Testify. I mean, how much do you love to tell the story? Did you catch that second verse we sang today? For some have never heard. And that's just what Paul is talking about here. This isn't just for those educated preachers who have come through the seminary in their robes and have the certificate in their hand, or those missionaries that go to the bush and the Podoc towns. No, this is you and I. And it comes at just the right time that we see this because all the previous verses, now this is what we are called to do. How then can they preach unless they are sent as it, written, as it is written? How beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. I go back to Romans 1 where Paul says, I, I, I will do whatever it takes. I'll go through whatever I have to go through because I am not ashamed of this gospel because it's this gospel that saved me. It's this gospel that changed my life. It's this gospel that gave me assurance of, of a future. It's this gospel. Go on. <laughs> but not all the Israelites accepted the good news for Isaiah said, Lord, who has believed our message? Consequently, consequently faith comes from hearing the message. And the message is heard through Again, what? The word of Christ. 
the gospel message comes through this book that we believe by faith every word is true. Faith comes from absolutely believing it. Believing the message of the gospel and this gospel message comes right through. It is through this whole Old Testament as well as New Testament. The whole Old Testament is just getting everybody ready for the new. But I asked, did they hear? Of course they did. That's why I hear he's saying, I'm not, I'm not putting up with excuses. Oh, there's going to be plenty. There's going to be people that stand in front of the Lord because everybody's going to, everybody one at a time is going to have their time before their Savior. And there's going to be some that are going to try to pull a fast one. They say, well, you know, no one ever told me. Or, you know, I just didn't get it. It was just a little too complicated. Man, this is not complicated. He did not give us 50 choices. He gave us two. You either believe him or you don't. I mean, I don't think it's that big, you know, big decision. It isn't complicated. Their voice has gone out into all the earth, their words to the ends of the earth. Again, I asked, did Israel not understand? First, Moses said, I will make you envious by those who are not a nation. In other words, okay, Jews, you're not going to believe, then this gospel is going to go to the Gentiles. And you know what you used to think of them. Oh, man, they were just pathetic people, dogs, in fact, scum of the earth. Well, guess what? They believed. And they became right before the Lord. And so maybe now you'll take a look and say, hey, that's what it means about maybe, maybe you Jews will get envious after you see what happened with the Gentiles. I will make you angry by a nation that has no understanding. I mean, what he means there is this, those Gentiles, they didn't know, they, don't, they didn't have a, you know, they didn't have a, um, well, what did he say in, uh, what did Paul say in, in chapter 9, where he said, can't understand it. Theirs is the adoption of his sons. There's the divine glory, the covenants that received in the law, the temple worship, the promises, the patriarchs. The Gentiles didn't have all that, and yet, you know what? They just believed. And Isaiah boldly says, I was found by those who did not seek me. I revealed myself to those who did not ask for me. But concerning Israel, he said, all day long I've held out my hands to a disobedient and obstinate people. I'm just going to go quickly through a few verses. I think we got the point of this. Romans 11, verse 6, and if by grace, and it is no longer by works, if it were, grace would no longer be grace. I love the way he put that. What's the definition of grace? Undeserved favor. If you could do it by works, well, then you won't even need that grace. But then what Israel sought so earnestly did not obtain, but the elect did. The others were hardened as it is written. God gave them a spirit of stupor, eyes so that they could not see, ears so that they could not hear to this very day. Yeah, 
you can lift that out of context and say, see, he picks and chooses. No, uh-uh. no, I'm going back to that simple question. Why did God let sin come into the world? He didn't. You did. This is, this is punishment the way he said, you know what? I can show mercy to those. I can show compassion to those who say yes. But guess what? I don't have to show compassion and mercy on those who refuse to believe. And when I say it's enough, I, I can do it. These are consequences of their behavior. Even David says, May their table become a snare and a trap, a stumbling block, a retribution for them. May their eyes be darkened so they cannot see and their backs be bent over. You know, in Revelation 22, I often wondered how come after Revelation 21, there was 22, because to me, 21 was the euphoric end. What a way to end. But Revelation 22 is because God is saying, it hasn't happened yet, so until then, let's see. <laughs> you got work to do. And there's a portion in that chapter 22 where he says, let those who are vile be vile. And I looked at that and I thought to myself, what in the world? What do you mean, let those who are vile be vile? And then it made sense to me. He's saying, you know what? After... 66 books, I have said everything that I can possibly say. I can do all that I possibly can do. And if you say no, then so be it. And God has every right to do that. And I think we've got to take that seriously. And then he talks about the grafting. I love this. In verse 11, again I ask, did they stumble so as to fall beyond recovery? Not at all. Rather, because of their transgression, salvation has come to the Gentiles to make Israel envious. As long as they have breath in their body, is there a chance? Absolutely. Absolutely. I'm talking to you Gentiles, and as much as I am the apostle to the Gentiles, I make much of my ministry in the hope that I may somehow arouse my own people to envy and save some of them. Paul's still saying, I'm not giving up on them. Verse 17, if some of the branches have been broken off, I love, even in John, Jesus talks about that, that visual of the tree, the tree of life. And when you're, when you're a healthy branch, you're hooked to that tree of life and, and you're getting the sap of God's spirit working through you. And you, you are growing and you're producing this fruit that's just busting out all over you. But he's saying, you know what? Like the Jew, I can break them off. And you, though, a wild olive shoot. Remember who Paul is writing to. He's writing to the Romans, to the Gentiles. What does he call his Gentiles? A wild jute. But we've been grafted in among the others and now share in the nursing sap from the olive root. But unity says, do not boast over those branches. 
I know this sounds childish, but the only way I could think about it is that don't you ever say, nah, 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 nah. <laughs> I didn't know how else to put it. <laughs> I'm better than you. Don't you ever get to the point. Don't ever boast that you think that maybe you were a little better or, or you know, because I believe you did, you know. So, I mean, whatever. Don't not boast. Always keep remembering that was a gift that you were given, an opportunity to believe. It is nothing you've done. So do not boast over those branches. If you do consider this, you do not support the root, but the root supports you. What a picture. You will then say branches were broken off so that I could be grafted in. That sounds like humility to me. It sounds like a grateful heart to me. Granted. But they were broken off because of unbelief, and you stand by faith. Do not be ignorant, but be afraid, for if God did not spare the natural branches, he will not spare you either. In other words, I don't care whether you're Jew or Gentile. Guess what? Any of you branches will be broken off. If you do not believe, consider therefore the kindness and sternness of God, sternness to those who fell, but kindness to you, provided that you continue in this kindness. Otherwise, you also will be cut off. I would say, and, I, and some people say, well, does that mean I can lose my salvation? <laughs> it's another touchy subject. Boy, he hit them all, didn't he? In Romans 9, 10, and 11. But I don't think... Somebody always says to me, do you believe in, in eternal security or do you believe you can you lose your salvation? I say to them, I don't know. God's sovereign. He can do what he wants. I don't have an answer to that question. And you know what? It's too important to me to play around with the answer. I'm not playing Russian roulette with this. I'm going to stay connected to that root. I'm not going to take any chances. He says for me to take nourishment from that root. I want to continue to live and grow in him. And then eternal security or losing your salvation is not an issue. It doesn't even become an issue. I don't know about you, but I'm not playing around with that one. Eternity is too serious for me. And I don't know. There's proof either way. And I am not playing around with it. And I think it will just cut the answer right to the chase. Are you willing to take chances with that? Not me. So if I stay connected, I have nothing to be concerned about. So we end tonight with praise. I, I just love the way Paul ended. Again, he says, for God bound all men over to disobedience so that he may have mercy on them all. I mean, I think, I don't, by this time after we've dissected 9, 10, and 11, I hope you can see that the simple message is, is that we are all the same. We all need a Savior, and he is available. The remedy is right there. And all Paul says, he ends by saying, I am so glad and grateful that I'm busting out with a doxology of praise because I found it and I said yes. I heard the message. 
the word was open to me. I heard the message. I chose to believe because I was one of them standing at Calvary, totally bound over to disobedience, absolutely, totally deserving hell. But because of what is mercy and compassion, I say, yes, <laughs> that's all I had to do. No wonder Paul said, and that's all I had to go through to get all this. I can see why he ends this chapter with doxology. Oh, the depth of the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable his judgments and his path beyond tracing. Who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been his counselor? I love the way he put that. He's basically saying, who do you think you are that you're trying to think like God? As great as our minds are, they're very limited, and God is the only mind that's limitless. So don't even try to be able to think like him and try to answer some of these things. Just listen to his word and listen to his invitation. Listen to the truth about yourself. Listen to the message of the gospel that the Holy Spirit is saying, you need it, you need it. And when you find it, Paul says, for from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Amen. We've got it made. Let's not take it for granted. Let's live like we believe this. Have a good week, everybody.